Welcome to the latest in our Aberdeen Closed End Fund podcast series, where we catch up with our portfolio managers and gain some perspective on these complex market conditions. I'm Dan Buchanan with Aberdeen, and today we are focusing on the global high-yield bond market with Ben Packenham, Head of European High Yield and Global Loans and Portfolio Manager of the Aberdeen Income Credit Strategies Fund, ticker ACP. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Dan. Or good afternoon in the UK. Ben, keeping in mind the current geopolitical scene, monetary policies, equity and bond volatility combined, and rising interest rates, let's begin with Aberdeen's view of the high-yield bond market today. Yeah, so clearly it's been a very, very difficult year for for financial markets generally. And I think what differentiates this year and this sell-off is that it's been so correlated. It's very unusual that you have government bonds and risk assets, by which I mean credit or corporate bonds and equities, all all selling off in a, to a significantly similar degree. And there are many different data points that can demonstrate that. Treasuries haven't done much better than, than U.S. equities. Um, and an amazing statistic is that triple C rated high yield bonds have actually outperformed investment grade. Now, I think that that in and of itself tells you a lot about the state of the market today. Clearly, the, the R word has been used a lot over the course of this year. It's probably the best flagged recession in the history of recessions. Everyone's um, talking about inverted yield curves and the inevitability of, of a recession in X number of months, 18, 24, 12, whatever, whatever you, you want to pick. Recessions are, of course, always inevitable. We are quite cautious about the outlook for the real economy 12 months forward. But looking 12 months back, I think what those data points I just gave you about triple C outperformance of investment grade and treasury performance relative to equities is that actually market participants are and have been this year more worried about inflation and the effect that that's having on monetary policy and the withdrawal of liquidity from financial systems than uh, earnings and um, the underlying economic strength and you know the, the, the fear of recession. <clears throat> now, all of that has led to you know a pretty significant drawdown in high yield. But again, to the same point, the differentiation between ratings bucket performance within high yield has been really very li- very limited. Triple C's have slightly underperformed single B's and double B's, but not to a not to a great extent. Um, duration or you know maturity or interest rate risk, if, if you like, has been the biggest driver of returns within within our market this year. So the, the shorter dated maturities have tended to come down, low teens uh, in, in percentage terms, and the longer dated parts of our market are, are down as much as 30 percent. So that's been a much bigger driver of credit risk. At a uh, fund level, the fund has net of, of fees, the net asset value, which obviously the fund is levered, has fallen when you add back the dividends, 26.1% at the end of September. When we ran the numbers, obviously on a gross basis, at the index level, if we gave the index an equivalent amount of leverage to the fund, the index would have been down 26.3%. So the fund has actually although it's clearly been a very difficult year, has performed broadly in line with the broader market if you were to apply the same amount of leverage. Um, just quickly on the performance of the fund, uh, the, the, the fund was outperforming on an underlying asset basis at the beginning of the year, and a lot of that was because of the short duration positioning. 
And early in the year, we saw higher quality, high yield sell off more than lower quality because it was all about inflation and interest rate risk and duration and less so about, you know, spreads and credit risk and, uh, you know, increasing default expectations. That has sort of normalized a bit over the course of the year. And so ACP has kind of traded in line. In terms of crystallized losses, we think they're pretty minimal. Um, we expect them to, to get back a lot of our capital losses over time. Just because a bond is trading at 70 or 80 today, it doesn't mean that we don't expect it to get back to par. It just means that the coupons that that bond commands or commanded at the time of issue uh, were, were wrong in the context of the current market environment. Um, EM, we have taken some hits there. Uh, Chinese property, we've seen a couple of defaults in that area. And we did have a couple of Ukrainian positions, which we sold out um, at uh, prices in the 50s. Um, finally, just wanted to mention uh, last month in September, the sterling and UK high yield market came under a substantial amount of pressure and sterling high yield really underperformed in the, in the third quarter relative to euro and dollar high yield markets. And this is a part of the fund that we have quite a big exposure to. Uh, it's, it's very macro driven change of cabinet, change of prime minister, change of chancellor. And with that came an unexpected significant shift in fiscal expectations and fiscal policy announced through a mini budget. Obviously, this has been all over the news. Um, and that caused a real jolt to um, markets and, and UK risk assets. We saw a run on sterling, run on gilts, and that, that obviously uh, moved over into other markets, including um, corporate bond markets. Um, the good news is that I suppose the good news is that the Chancellor has been um, let go. A new Chancellor who's considered to be much more pragmatic has come in and walked back a lot of those, a lot of those fiscal plans that were, 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 were sort of flagged. And that has led to the sterling high yield market coming back quite substantially in, in, in recent days. And we think that that will continue. But I thought that that was worth pointing out. No, that's wonderful, Ben. You mentioned a number of risk characteristics that you assess, interest rate, duration, credit, et cetera. Aberdeen is a global firm. Uh, can you talk about how the team assesses risk overall when constructing a portfolio like ACP? Yeah, absolutely. Risk in, in credit markets and in high yield means many different things. You just touched on a few of them. It can mean um, duration exposure, uh, you know, do you own low coupon, long dated bonds that have had a very, very tough time of it this year? Or are you overrate uh, more cyclical sectors? Um, are you overrate, you know, single Bs, triple Cs or double Bs, etc.? cetera? And, um, and what are the drawdowns in different, different market scenarios? What we saw was that actually the volatility profile of the fund. Again, I, I touched on this a minute ago, but, but our drawdown was, was very favorable at the beginning of the year because of our duration, our, our short duration position. What we've done and tried to do over the course of the year is slightly de-risk the, the portfolio at a sort of top-down level. And that means that we've tried to increase the credit quality of the fund on average. So we've gone from triple C plus to B minus over the course of this year. And we'll continue to try to do that and take advantage of, of any sort of strength in markets that, that, that may come. And we think actually will come. We can come back to that if you like. Um, it, it's, it's, this fund is slightly different in that it's, it has a, a monthly dividend requirement, which does differentiate it to some of our other funds in the high yield range at, at Aberdeen. And with that, we need to generally 
try and run the fund with a, with a bit more credit risk and a bit more yield than we might otherwise. Now, that doesn't completely preclude us from cutting risk and, and managing the capital in times of extremis. And we will look to do that, as I said. And one of the things we think about next year is that there will be more differentiation between the ratings bands and the performance of the ratings bands as the economic environment becomes more difficult uh, and as earnings pressures start to grow, particularly in those more cyclical sectors. So again, we have a very clear idea of which parts of the portfolio we would, we would like to reduce uh, on strength. I should quickly go back to the sterling market as well and, the, and our UK exposure. I, I forgot to add that you know, clearly when you see these big moves in a specific market, you look at those companies again on a much more bottom-up sort of basis and you go through each company uh, on a bond-by-bond -bond basis and you and you scenario analyze the P&L and the cash flows and, and just check that the, um, the, the, the companies still require a place in the fund and, and in the case of the, the sterling exposure it, they are still we think very good companies with limited default risk where the valuations today massively overcompensate us for what we think are the realistic chances of, of crystallized losses there so we will continue to hold those until the valuations <clears throat> get back to levels that we think are reasonable okay great thank you ben ben let me switch gears for a quick moment acp is a closed end fund and that investment vehicle has certain characteristics, features, and benefits. Uh, from your perspective as a portfolio manager, how does the closed-end fund structure help you to effectively manage uh, a high-yield bond portfolio in days like this? Yeah, so this this fund is the only closed-end fund we manage in the in the range. I mean, we do have segregated mandates, which I suppose you could argue are closed-ended in, in, in nature to some extent. Uh, what is different with this fund, however, to the others is that, um, so you may not be sort of suffering from inflows or outflows and having to manage, manage that situation, but this fund does have leverage, does employ leverage. And so on the one hand, the closed ended nature of it is, is positive. It means that it's easier to reposition the fund according to, you know, according to the macro and tailored to the, to the environment. Um, however, when you have a falling market, to some extent, you do, you are still a, a force seller as you have to maintain the buffers to breaches of covenants on those debt facilities. Actually, that's something that we have managed, I think, very well this year. We've generally been running the fund with a higher than average cash balance in the expectation that the market was going to, to, to struggle this year. And we've, we've, managed, we've made sure that we're never actually a force seller of bonds. Um, and that we have the cash available to pay down some of the leverage facility as we see fit. Just to give you an idea, um, very crudely, the amount of debt in the leverage facility at the peak was about $120 million, and today it's about 90, 90 million. So we have had to pay back about $30 million, or we have paid, paid down about $30 million. And we, we retain a relatively conservative um, buffer to, to any kind of breach of those covenants. And finally, Ben, as we wrap up our podcast today, what would you say to clients today to give them comfort that they should invest in high yield bonds? Yeah, I think there are a number of things. I mean, it's been a, a gloomy, a gloomy year for financial markets. Um, I think the first thing is that we have a more positive outlook on the fourth quarter. 
Our reasoning there is that we think headline inflation has already peaked uh, and we expect it to continue to tail off quite rapidly. We've seen that very recently with, with oil and gas prices really coming off very strongly. We also think that core inflation is going to begin to decline quite quickly in, in Q1 of, of, of next year. Um, tightened financial conditions, we think, are beginning to feed into to the real economy. So we expect the data there to relieve some of the pressure on central banks um, in the coming uh, months. And we also expect earnings to come in ahead of expectations broadly. Um, uh, and that's been demonstrated very recently by quite strong bank earnings. Netflix just had very good earnings and United Airlines as well. All of those factors we think should put a ceiling on underlying yields, which markets will respond favorably to. Um, additionally, there are some early indications that central bank hawkishness is beginning to cool a bit. So China and Japan have both implemented measures uh, to defend their currencies against the, the strong dollar. Um, South Korea are also supposedly expected to follow suit. The Bank of England recently have, uh, in the wake of all the carnage that that mini budget caused in September, uh, they've, they've uh, committed to buy unlimited long dated gilts or, or, or had done in response to that recent volatility in that market. And the Bank of Australia surprised markets by raising rates less than expected uh, recently, 25 bips instead of the 50 bips priced in by the market. So although um, the Fed is the most important central bank, it's really the bellwether and tends to lead other central bank behavior, and we haven't seen a shift really in the narrative out of the Fed, we do think that there's a bit of a surreptitious kind of shift in the monetary narrative on a more global basis. Um, so that, that's a sort of, that's a positive. I think the other big positive is that yields have now, valuations have got to a point where the asymmetry of your returns is, is so much more favorable than it's been for a long time. Um, and that's in the context of still ex very low expected default rates. And the reason default rates are expected to remain low is because the refinancing risk in our market is, is, is very limited. The amount of debt that's actually coming due, that's actually maturing in high yield markets over the next three years is really very small as a percentage of the total debt. And that's important for two reasons. It means the companies have the runway to get through this difficult period and that their cost of debt is fixed at a prior point in time. So their coupons are still low. So their, their cost of debt is still low. And that's really important. It means that you don't have those triggers for default in the short term. And if you look at how, where spreads are today, valuations are today, in the context of what default expectations are, valuations are really very cheap. Um, and when you've got a yield of 9 10% at a market level, then you know, you, your, your buffer to a negative return is quite high, even if, even if you have um, crystallized losses of 2.5%, you know, 3%, your excess return is still very high by, by, by longer-term standards. So I think those are the big positives. I don't want to sound too optimistic, though, because <laughs> I'd say I do think next year is going to, even if we, we expect a bit of a, a relief rally over the coming months in the immediate term, for the reasons I said, uh, we do think the next year is going to be another tough year for markets as the narrative shifts from inflation and monetary policy and financial tightening to the effects that, that those things have had on the real economy and by extension earnings. And so we'll start to see financial metrics deteriorate a bit, and I think a much more normal sort of styles, risk off, sell off in credit markets. And, and with all that in mind, we do expect to use any strength in markets, as I've alluded to, um, to, to, to de-risk the fund, whether that be an improvement in credit quality, uh, a reduction in leverage, or a, or a 
um, uh, a tilt to a more defense, a defensive sector stance or all of the above. Ben, thank you so much for your insights today, particularly as we step into the Q4 of 2022. Uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can find out more about the fund at www.abrdnacp.com. I'm Dan Buchanan with Aberdeen. Do look out for future episodes. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.